We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 606 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, July 6, 2023. It is the day on which the NBA moratorium ends. Uh, 12:01 p.m. Eastern on Thursday is when the NBA moratorium ends. The NBA moratorium, in case you do not know, started this past Friday, June 30th at 6 p.m. Eastern, and is a period during which most NBA free agent signings and trades cannot become official. You see, (laughs) few things in life are as needlessly complicated as the NBA offseason, but Things will start to become clearer and easier to follow starting at 12.01 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. The Wizards, for example, still have not officially announced a number of things that we know have been agreed on, uh, like the trading of Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors and the re-signing of unrestricted free agent Kyle Kuzma and the trading of Monte Morris to the Detroit Pistons. Like, if you go to the Wizards' official website, the team still has Chris Paul and Monte Morris being on the team. But hopefully, on Thursday, or at least sometime soon, uh, everything that we know is happening is officially announced. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show that provides comprehensive coverage of the Commanders, Nationals, Capitals, Wizards, Orioles, Maryland, and Georgetown. We follow D.C area sports so that you don't have to. You have enough going on in your life. Let us do the heavy lifting for you. No other DC sports podcast or show doing what we're doing. And there's nobody in the commander's media doing what Logan Paulson is doing. And he is going to join me Next segment, uh, Commander's Analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson. He is exceptional at talking Commanders from an X's and O's perspective, and he's going to spend some time with us making us smarter, because who doesn't want to be smarter? Uh, we're going to talk about the impact of assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who Logan was with at UCLA years ago. Uh, we're going to talk a whole lot about quarterback Sam Howell, including what Logan saw from Sam during OTA and minicamp practice 
practices this offseason. We are going to talk about the state of the commanders at tight end, a position that Logan knows well. Uh, We're going to talk about corner Emmanuel Forbes. We're going to talk about the team potentially having a truly special defense. Uh, All of that and more. Logan Paulson on the show going in-depth on the commander's next segment. Uh, Also on the show, (laughs) the Nationals. uh, They on Wednesday night got hammered and not in the good way. A 9-2 loss to the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park. The Nats are getting smacked around by the Reds who've won the first three games of this four-game series. The Nats are getting humbled in this series. Make him humble! Yes, thank you, Sheiky baby. The Iron Sheik, may he rest in peace. Uh, But a bad outing by Nat starting pitcher Josiah Gray. Also, we had controversy and confusion via a bizarro bat check. Yeah, I'll tell you about that and more. Uh, And I will discuss a big Orioles win on Wednesday night, a 6-3 win at the New York Yankees as starting pitcher Dean Kramer was awesome and we had the Major League regular season debut of one of the Orioles' top prospects, outfielder Colton Kowser, and he and his debut delivered one for three with an RBI single and a walk. Uh, by the way, a salute to former Washington center Chase Roulier, who on Wednesday in an Instagram post announced his retirement from the NFL. Uh, the commanders on May 5th announced that they had released Roulier with a post-June 1 designation and Now his playing career is over. It's a shame Chase Roulier was plagued by injury big time in each of his final two seasons with Washington. He, over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons, played in just 10 of a possible 34 games. He had Washington's loss at the Denver Broncos on Halloween 2021, suffered a season-ending fractured left fibula, and suffered damage to his left ankle. And he and the Commanders' loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2 of this past season suffered what ended up being a season-ending right knee injury. But Chase Roulier had a very nice career in the NFL, very nice run with Washington. He became the skin starting center beginning with the 2018 season. He, from the start of the 2018 season through the 2020 season, started 46 of a possible 48 regular season games. Roulier in the 2018 and 2020 regular seasons played on every Washington offensive snap. Uh, The Skins took Roulier in the sixth round of the 2017 NFL Draft. He and running back Alfred Morris, the Skins' two best six-round picks of the 2010s. So all the best. Uh, to Chase Roulier. You could tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jerry Moore on the state of Washington, D.C. sports. Writes Jerry, hi, Al. Continuing to enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Jerry. Continues Jerry. I have a question for you. With the Nats struggling and many of their so-called future stars floundering, the football team still very mediocre. The Wizards in ashes after the new front office took a torch to the roster and drafted another teenage project who can't shoot. And the aging camps likely a year or two away from needing a total rebuild are avid DMV professional sports fans like me entering the worst era in the modern history of DMV professional sports. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jerry. A rather sobering question. Uh, Well, the short answer to the question is yes, possibly. Although 
You know, with the impossible dream about to become reality, Dan Snyder selling the football team, the 24-plus-year reign of error of the Danny as owner of the team finally mercifully coming to an end. I almost feel like nothing else (laughs) that happens with our other teams can make right now be bad because Dan selling the football team is such a good thing, such a positive development, such a source of joy and hope and optimism. But yeah, if you're just talking about where the big four in DC sports are on the wind curve, uh, we may well be looking at four teams that could all be rebuilding at the same time. I mean, the Nats and the Wizards already are rebuilding. The Commanders, if they have a bad 2023 season, may well then embark on a rebuild, especially given the new ownership. And the Caps, if their retool doesn't work, Uh, they may then have to engage in a rebuild. Uh, Since the Nats franchise moved to D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason, we have not had all four of the big four rebuilding at the same time. Uh, We could have that within the next year. Email from Dr. CCB of our conversation on Monday's show, episode 604, about Commander's Team President Jason Wright of the multiple reports this past Friday evening that incoming Commander's owner Josh Harris will be keeping Jason as Team President for now, writes Dr. CCB. Hope that you and the family had a wonderful 4th of July. Thank you, Dr. CCB, continues the doctor. As always, I was listening to the pod on Monday and the conversation about Josh Harris and his team keeping Jason Wright on staff did not surprise me, but let's be clear. Jason Wright will be fired after Harris and his team come in and analyze the current situation. Being the owner of two major sports teams, I'm quite sure that Harris already has a competent person in mind to be team president, but he needs Jason Wright so Harris can absorb the knowledge that Jason has about Skin's business operations. However, I am 100% sure that inevitably Jason Wright will be let go, especially after hearing all of the blunders that you laid out on Monday's show. There have been so many that have occurred during his presidency. Uh, Thank you for the email, Dr. CCB. And she lists a number of the blunders, including some that I did not make mention of or allude to on Monday's show, namely tweeting a pic of Santa and a snowman urinating on the Dallas Cowboys helmet and the uh, check that bounced to the winner of a raffle. Yeah, Jason Wright on Christmas night 2021 put out a tweet that read, quote, Good night at Washington, NFL Nation. A holiday-themed game day is just a day away, end quote. And the tweet also featured a cartoon meme of Santa Claus and a snowman urinating on a cowboy's helmet. And you actually saw the flows of urine coming out. And then the next night, December 26, 2021, we had one of the most humiliating losses in Washington history, a 56-14 embarrassment of a loss at the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football on national television on NBC, the 42-point loss, the worst Washington loss ever to the Cowboys. And this was the game during which our top two interior defensive linemen, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, got into a scuffle on the Washington sideline. Deron put a finger in John's face, and then John threw a punch at Deron. Good times. Uh, Look, regarding that tweet from Jason, I'm all for a good joke, okay? But there's a level of decorum 
that certain positions require. I would say that the president of an NFL team is one of those positions. Now, what exactly qualifies as meeting the requisite standards of decorum, obviously, is very subjective. But to me, this is the kind of thing about which you can say you know it when you see it. And the president of an NFL team on Christmas night putting out a tweet, however (laughs) well-intended, that features a meme of Santa Claus and a snowman urinating on an opposing team's helmet with the actual flows of urine visible uh, seems to be beneath that uh, requisite level of decorum. And then the bounce check. Uh, Commanders fan Drew Shipley during the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field last September 11th, won the team's 50-50 raffle at the game. What he won was a check for $14,882, but he did not receive the check until October 13th, and then the check ended up bouncing. Uh, His bank account went negative, and he owed a $15 back check fee. Uh, The commanders ended up sending an electronic payment straight to Shipley's bank account after the incident. Said a team spokesperson to WUSA 9, quote, We reached out directly to the fan as soon as we learned about it and have wired the money directly to his account and apologized for the inconvenience. It was a bank error, and we are following up with the bank to learn why it happened and ensure it doesn't happen again, end quote. Uh, Believe what you want, but uh, that bounce check story was not a good look for our commanders. Well, also not having a good look, the home and auto insurance markets right now, they are messes right now. We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. Uh, You right now have every reason to shop your home and auto insurance. And that's why you should go with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com and you'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. BMC Insurance. It offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. Uh, BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. Uh, It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. When people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. 
Well, this episode of the Al Galdi podcast is for Thursday, July 6th. We are a mere two weeks away from the expected approval of the sale of the commanders to the Josh Harris Group via a vote of NFL owners on July 20th. And we are just three weeks away from the start of Commander's training camp on July 27th. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Commander's analyst and former Redskins tight end, Logan Paulson. Uh, he played for the Skins from 2010 through 2014. He does a lot of very insightful work for the Commanders for their website and YouTube channel. He is the co-host of the Take Command podcast, and he puts out a lot of good content on his Instagram. His Instagram handle is Logan underscore Paulson 82. Logan, great to talk to you again. How are you? Man, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure uh, catching up. Yeah, great to have you back on. So it's funny, every year we have this break of about six weeks between off-season practices and training camp, and every year the break seems to go quickly. We're now well inside of a month until the start of camp, and we, the week before the start of camp, July 20th, expect to finally have the finalizing of the Josh Harris Group's purchase of the Commanders from a football standpoint, from the standpoint of the head coach, Rod Rivera, and his staff. Is there significant benefit from the sale being done before training camp as opposed to being done during camp? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I've never played for a team where there's a precedent set like this, but I, I would assume that it, it must be better, right? Because instead of him having to address questions regarding the sale, the ownership, that relationship, hopefully they can get that addressed kind of before camp starts and kind of move on to playing football, which is what they want to do. So I think just in terms of getting things off the docket, things that kind of distract from football, like this is a good a good thing, I, I believe. You know, because I remember as a player, one of the things that always I found frustrating is when there was some type of off-field issue that bled into your open locker room time and people were asking you about something that you might not even have that much understanding of or awareness of. But it just it kind of took away from kind of your process, your preparation. And so I, I do think that um, you know, even if it's a slight benefit, I think it's good that it's getting done before training camp so that the team can focus on uh, week one of the season. Well, the last time that I had you on the show was in February, uh, shortly after the commander's hiring of Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator was made official. Uh, you were a tight end at UCLA from 2005 through 2009. Bieniemy was UCLA's running backs coach from 2003 through 2005. And you said that you had never been around a coach who coaches as aggressively as the enemy does. And he, during the commander's offseason practices, certainly seemed to live up to that reputation. What jumped out to you in watching him during OTA and minicamp practices? Well, I think he's kind of, I think the thing that jumped out to me was just how he's matured. You know, he still has a very high standard, but I don't think it's it's quite the same level of intensity that he had when I was, you know, what was that, 15 years ago when I was at UCLA with him, right? And uh, that makes sense that you evolve, you develop, you cultivate a new uh, coaching style to meet, you know, kind of the athletes where they are. Um, I think the thing that really stuck out to me and something that I was really glad to see was the level of detail, just how detailed it was in everything. You know, he's, he's watching routes on air. Every receiver has to hit their depth. The guy that doesn't gets called out, right? You don't break the huddle correctly or there's uncertainty in terms of the formation. We're bringing it back. We're going to reset that. Um, he's hyper aware of the play copy. You're hooting and hollering about the play clock all the time and just making sure that you get the quarterback to play with enough time to kind of have time to read the defense and you're not rushed, right? So playing with good tempo, playing with good urgency. And I just love that. And you just see that kind of in every aspect. Like when you're watching the film, when you're watching practice, there's a level of crispness 
has been kind of absent, you know, and, and, and the good offenses that I played with, that crisp, that, that crisp element was kind of omnipresent. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing that sticks out to me is just the level of detail, the level of focus, and the standard that he's holding these guys to. So I think he's definitely living up to what was advertised, and I think he's a guy that I'm just constantly surprised that he's not already a head coach. But, you know, the league's loss is the commander's gain, and hopefully – um you know, he coaches this team to a good season and uh, gets that head coaching opportunity sooner rather than later. Something else with Eric Bieniemy this offseason has been the authority that he has been given by Ron Rivera to have major say in the team's schedule of offseason work. Ron has been very open about this, has talked about Bieniemy having assistant head coach in his job title as not just some ceremonial thing. What do you think about the changes that Bieniemy has made? Well, I think he's definitely put his, his impact on it. You know, like the, the structure is, is kind of a, it's a fairly drastic departure from what Ron has done in the past. You know, um, last year's OTAs and the OTA under Ron's tenure really was kind of what I was used to when I was playing. You know, you had team run, you had nine on seven, you had kind of these more physical run emphasis type periods. And those are completely gone now. And now it's a, a really strong emphasis on pass. There's a ton of seven on seven. There's a ton of team pass. There's less offensive line work and a, just a ton of volume for the quarterback and for the skill position guys. And I do think in some ways that I think there, that there's two benefits there. One is that it kind of keeps you out of getting big fines because it limits and mitigates some of the contact. And two, I think with the way the game is progressing and evolving over the last five to 10 years, kind of this pass first, pass second approach, it lets you get reps at the things that you need reps at. Because as much as, you know, the run game needs a lot of detail, it's becoming less a priority. Last year, this team ran the ball 37% of the time. That means they're passing, you know, over 60%, which is, which is a huge ratio. So I want to make sure that my receivers understand route depths, understand stems, understand adjustments versus different coverages. And I really felt like this OTA period kind of laid the foundation for some of that. Great to hear that the commanders spent so much of their offseason practices on passing. I love that. Uh, when it comes to the man who, uh, through offseason practices, has held his position as QB1 for the upcoming season, Sam Howell, uh, would you say, off what you saw from Sam in OTA and minicamp practices, that you feel better, worse, or the same about Sam as compared to prior to the start of offseason practices? Yeah, I said I feel better. You know, it's just more information for your evaluation. Like, the thing that I'm always kind of, like, cautioning people, it's like he had one start. Was the start impressive? Yes. Did he do a good job? Yes. But was the situation of that game really favoring Sam? The defense played great. They had a couple turnovers on special teams early that put him in advantageous situations. He had simple reads, and he, he executed. And, and kudos to Sam. And I think we're all aware of his talent, his arm strength, his, his quick release, his mobility, all that stuff. But I, I just wanted to see more. And every time he was given more, <laughs> excuse me, he just did better with the opportunities. He, you know, like the defense, I thought did an excellent job, especially in the back end, <laughs> of making plays and and really making tight window throws. And Sam kind of had to contend with that all the time. So in that three step, five step stuff, I thought he did a great job. He saw like kind of some of the connections with the receivers developing already. So I was really impressed. Now I still need to see more to kind of say like I feel really good about it. But I think he's a guy that, that did well with his opportunity. And quite frankly, for a young guy in his second year, I think that's all you can ask for. Uh, the Sam Howell footwork, uh, something that Ron Rivera has acknowledged has been an issue. Did Logan Paulson see improved footwork from Sam in these offseason practices? I did. I, de I definitely saw a guy who was a little bit more 
on rhythm, especially early on. And, and again, he was better early than he was later. And I think there's a, there's a million reasons for that one. You know, you get to kind of a saturation point with the offense. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of bullets, a lot of bees buzzing around in your head. And there leads to a lot of mistakes, not by the quarter, not only by the quarterback, but by the skill position guys. So a little bit of a stumble there. But what I, I think the thing you did an excellent job of was being on rhythm. And usually if you're on rhythm, your footwork's pretty good. So I do, I think I, I, you see a, a nice evolution. You see an emphasis by Coach Bienemy. You see an emphasis by the new quarterback coach there. So I just think, I think he did, he did enough to kind of say like, I feel like he's earned the right to be the starter going into training camp. And obviously you bring a guy with Jacoby Brissett's pedigree, his talent, his, his kind of very unique skill set, and being a very good backup. Like you feel good about that. But I think Sam with his upside, with what he showed, I think the fan base should say, let's see what he does during training camp and see where this team is at. Much more with Logan Paulson in moments. High-level X's and O's analysis of the Commanders. You know, there must be something about the name Paulson because the law firm of Paulson and Nace provides high-level legal representation. If you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, if someone who you know has been harmed by the negligence of someone else, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you and will fight for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, By the way, big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was recently named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year, this by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, Victims of shady lawyers, if your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Ace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Ace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, Call Paulson and Ace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. You could also visit paulsonandace.com. That's paulsonandace.com. Just don't forget to tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Ace. More now with Commander's Analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson. Uh, so, as best as we can tell, despite Ron Rivera having talked up a quarterback competition, Sam Howell during offseason practices took every single first team practice rep. Now, personally, I have no problem with that, but in your opinion, should Jacoby Brissett in training camp get at least some first team reps? Well, I think that kind of alludes to the skill set that I'm talking about. Not only does Jacoby play quarterback at a high level, but he has a lot of experience about what 
it takes to be prepared to be the starter. You know, he's backed up Andrew Luck. He's backed up Tom Brady. He's backed up all these guys. That, and he doesn't get a lot of reps in practice. So he's had to cultivate and develop a process that allows him to come in at a moment's notice and be ready to go with the starters. And I think that while, you know, I think a lot of fans probably are, you know, you know, dubious of that, like it is a skill set. Like when I was playing, especially near the latter half of my career, I was the third or fourth guy on the depth chart. The starter gets hurt. There's not like, oh, Logan didn't get any reps with the ones. Like, how's he going to fit in? It's like you just, I had to develop other things, extracurricular stuff to make sure that I was ready to go. And from what I've heard about Jacoby, from talking with him, um, I think he's got that in, uh, you know, at a very high level. And that's one of the reasons you pay a premium for that player. You, you know, $10 million contract for a backup quarterback. That's why you do it. So you don't have to give him all these reps because you trust that he's going to be ready to go. He's going to be an excellent pro. The commanders miking up quarterbacks during offseason practices was interesting, and I thought smart. The idea being to mic up Sam Howell in order to hear his uh, huddle conversations and line of scrimmage calls. What'd you think of that, and why don't more teams do that? You know, I've been a part of teams that have done variations of that. Um, and I think what, so first off, I think it's an excellent idea, especially with a young signal caller, not only for the play delivery in the huddle, which I think is really important, but kind of his operation at the line of scrimmage, you know, who's the mic? Does he understand where the protection's going? Um, you know, how's his cadence? All those things that kind of let you just fine tune some of that stuff and make sure that the standards there, I think is really important. Like when I was in Houston, for example, they used to have a mic on the quarterback and they used to have a camera that was from the quarterback's perspective, kind of a 360 view. So you could kind of see the windows that the quarterback was seeing, and it just allowed for another level and a, le- and a certain level of detail with the coaching um, that I think is really important. And I think more teams should adopt that because I think it helps elevate, especially a young signal caller. So I think it's an excellent idea. You know, it'll be interesting to see how long they carry it, if they feel like they need to carry it through training camp. We'll see. But I think for the offseason especially, yeah, let's make sure the cadence is correct. Let's make sure the play call is coming out correct. Let's just make sure we have the right protections called and make sure he has a high comfort level with that, because if not, I want to get that addressed as soon as possible. Who's the best quarterback you ever played with in terms of uh, commanding a huddle, no pun intended, uh, uh, and articulating plays? Yeah, there's a couple guys. I mean, obviously, Matt Ryan did an excellent job of that. He just had an absolute command. But then another guy, his backup, I'll I'll mention three guys, his backup, Matt Schaub, he's, he's been a backup quarterback for 12 years. So we're in the fourth preseason game, third preseason game, whatever it is, me and him are out there. And, uh, and he had a very deliberate way of delivering the play. He would kind of say the protection and he'd look at the offensive line and point to the offensive line. Then he'd say X this and he'd point to the X and he'd make sure everyone knew exactly what they were doing. And it was a very deliberate way to deliver the play. But when you're dealing with kind of different, um, levels of experience, it's, I think that's excellent. And that's understanding who you're playing football with, you know? And so Matt Ryan gets in there and he's got this leadership. He's got like, come on, let's, let's, let's F and go. Let's make this happen. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Barks that play call out. That's awesome. But also when you're with a bunch of backups, you need to make sure you deliver the play in a nice way. The other guy that stood out to me was Deshaun Watson. I know he's got his whole off the field thing, but a guy that was just incredibly composed at all moments of the game when it came to delivering the play. Really um, fantastic at that. So different styles, obviously, but, um, and all effective in their own way. I want to get your take on the commanders at tight end. We uh, had the big blow of tight end Armani Rogers on May 23rd. Uh, what was the team's first day of OTA practices for this offseason, suffering a non-contact Achilles injury? Uh, the team 
this offseason basically did nothing at tight end. Do you view the group of Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner, and Curtis Hodges as good enough to provide significant production this coming season? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of people look at last year and say, oh, the tight ends weren't good enough. And I would say, like, the offensive play calling for the tight end position was not good enough, right? Like, they were not, that was not a point of emphasis for Scott. And right, wrong, or indifferent, like, that's going to affect the usage of that position is how you're calling plays. And when you look at Kansas City's offense um, with Travis Kelsey and the kind of stable tight ends they have there, they know how to use that position. And during OTAs, during minicamp, you know, you see Logan Thomas kind of developing a relationship and an understanding of how Sam is seeing the defense and being on the same page with him. So I think there's going to be, uh, you know, a pretty significant uptick, uh, uptick in terms of usage and also in terms of personnel, which I think is kind of what you're alluding to there. You know, I think Logan Thomas in this offense, like understanding zones, finding soft spots, making those kind of subtle adjustments will execute at a high level. Bates, you know, one of the best blocking wise in football. And then I think, you know, um, Cole Turner and Hodgins are really, really high upside plays at the position. And so when people are like, oh, you need to bring in, you should have drafted a guy, you should have done whatever. I'm just like, I don't think they understand how dynamic those last two guys can be and the upside kind of wild cards. And if you put Armani Rodgers in there, holy cow, that would have been spectacular and obviously really bunk for Armani because I think he was poised for a great year. I mean, like he was a, all those guys are physical freaks, but Armani kind of stands a little ahead of those guys. So uh, I think the back end of that room is, has a ton of upside and fans should be excited about it. Didn't surprise me they didn't do anything in the draft. I think you're going to see a more productive group just because of usage. And I think guys are getting healthy. I think it's all kind of a perfect storm for that room. A few things on the commander's defense. It was during last offseason's practices that the team's 2022 first round pick, receiver Jahan Dodson, drew a lot of praise that uh, turned out to be warranted. How did this year's commander's first round pick, corner Emmanuel Forbes, look to you during offseason practices? I mean, he looked great. You know, he looked great. I think um, the, the thing about him that was a little surprising, you know, was just how polished he was in terms of. Uh, his professionalism, you know, you know, I understand you can lock a guy up, you can play tight coverage, you can feel zones out, but just understanding how to bait a quarterback, how to sink in the right way, how to communicate different route combinations to the safety and just how on the same page he was and how dynamic he was and how uh, quick he was to break up the football. I mean, you know, he was, he was one of the best quarterbacks. You know, I evaluated all the quarterbacks in the draft this year. And he was, his film was the best of the bunch, you know, and you, you, obviously the size is a little bit of a concern, but he came out and showed you why he was such a good football player at Mississippi State. And I think, you know, obviously they're not tackling anybody. The physicality is down there on the pads on, but in terms of kind of answering that first, uh, you know, checking that first box, like he emphatically checked that sucker. And I think uh, I can't wait to watch him in training camp. Linebacker Kalik Hudson, uh, he, like Sam Howell, did well in the win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 18 of last season. You know, it's it's funny, that game against the Cowboys is becoming this, like, legendary game uh, for young Commanders players. But there has been a lot of talk that Kalik had a very good offseason. What do you make of where he's at? Yeah, he was kind of my sleeper coming out of the offseason. You know, like, again, he had a great game against Dallas. You saw kind of you know, when you watch practice a lot, you see Kalik a lot. You know, he flashes. He's really explosive. He's, he's, he's explosive. Like he, the way he rushes, the way he can step outside of his frame from an athleticism standpoint is very, very special. So to see him finally kind of bring some of that 
stuff that you see on special teams all the time to that to that week 18 game against Dallas was special. And then he kind of continued that into the offseason. And he just did some great stuff. Had a wonderful blitz on the running back, just beautiful Euro step, stepping outside of his frame, reading his screens. He's playing kind of an overhang Buffalo Nicholish type role and matching up with the receiver. He's got some skills and athletic traits that get you really excited. Just about can he continue to maintain that level of play going into the season? Because if he can, I think he's going to be a really nice contributor, not only on teams, but probably in the context of the regular defense. Something that I've talked about on the podcast is the notion of dominant defense. I don't know that in today's NFL, you can truly have dominant defense anymore. I think that that's an interesting issue. But to whatever extent, dominant defense is doable in the current NFL. (laughs) It feels like the commanders might have that this coming season. And I know that this is the time at which we all get giddy about what could be for the team. But It has been a really long time since Washington had a truly special defense over the course of multiple seasons. The defense was good last season. Can you see the team having a truly special defense this coming season? I love the way you characterize that, man. It's it's hard to have a dominant defense now because it's such an offensive-driven league. The rules are kind of built around supporting the offense, but After OTAs, I mean, everyone talks about the defensive line, but the way the secondary performed, the way they matched concepts, the way they kept the windows tight, and again, it's not 100% accurate because they're not running the football, you're not getting true play action fake, so, you know, advantage defense a little bit, but they just did such a good job in the back end, and I think that was the thing that kind of differentiated them last year. I think they've always had relatively good production or serviceable production from the front, um, you know, linebackers, um, you know, Buffalo nickel guy and the defensive line. But if they can take that secondary from like a C, B minus C plus to a solid B or a B plus, like I just, I, I don't know. They don't really have a weakness, you know? And I think that with Forbes, with Quan, with Cam Crow coming back, with Percy Buller and Forrest playing the way they did, even Wild Goose had a really nice spring. If that group looks and can continue this momentum, I absolutely think they can be as close to dominant in 2023 as a a defense can be because I think the defensive line is going to come out and play great. I think they're in a great spot with their depth. You know, obviously the two, the two row daddies inside there, Payne and Allen are going to be productive. I think Montez based on his production last year is poised for a big year and you have great depth pieces across the board. And then is Chase motivated by this off season stuff? And if he is, man, like you could have four dudes on the defensive line with 10 plus sacks and then you have great depth across the board. So, uh, that That is a fun and exciting side of the football to be talking about, and I really think it hinges on that secondary and whether or not they can kind of galvanize the way I think they can. It is exciting to think about for sure. Commander's analyst and former Skins tight end, Logan Paulson. Uh, Logan, good to talk to you, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. Always great to talk with Logan Paulson. Uh, If you have like 20 seconds, uh, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, the Nationals are getting worked in their four-game series against the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park. A 9-2 loss on Wednesday night. The Nats, in losing the first three games of this series, have been outscored by the Reds at 28 uh, the Nats now are 34 and 52, second worst record in the National League, and the 34 and 52 is comprised of being 21 and 22 on the road versus just 13 and 30 at home. Yeah, 13 and 30 at Nationals Park. The Nats now have lost 13 of their last 14 home games. The Reds now have won 19 of their last 20 three games. The Reds are on fire. Uh, They're now 48 and 39, two games ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers atop the National League Central. Well, we on Wednesday night did get a bat check. Uh, This was bizarre. So umpires shortly before the start of the top of the second checked the bat of the Reds phenom, third baseman Ellie De La Cruz, as the bat at the bottom of the handle had what is known, or at least appeared to have what is known, as a blast knob, uh, which also is known as a swing analyzer made by a company called Blast Baseball. Uh, the swing analyzer provides real-time feedback via simply being attached to the knob of a bat. Uh, Dela Cruz was made to remove what appeared to be a blast knob. Both Nats manager Davey Martinez and Reds manager David Bell ended up being spoken to by the umpiring crew in some form. Uh, Dela Cruz ended up uh, in the plate appearance striking out uh, on six pitches against 
that starting pitcher, Josiah Gray, who <laughs> did end up giving up three runs in that inning. But Dela Cruz later in the game was back to having what appeared to be the blast knob. Although the reason that I keep saying what appeared to be the blast knob is that what turns out to have been the case is that what <laughs> Dela Cruz had was the housing of the blast knob as opposed to the actual knob. This was, again, bizarre. Uh, According to Major League Baseball, quote, the conversations during the game regarded a rules check involving equipment, specifically the housing on the knob of the bat. The housing used by the player is permissible and approved, which was communicated to the Nationals, end quote. Uh, This was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on the bat check of Ellie De La Cruz. Hey, look, I, I, it wasn't a big issue. I just want to know what that was. I don't think that, I, I haven't seen anybody, you know, I know what the device is, but I've never seen nobody wear it during the game. So, you know, I just went out and I, I even told Quinn, like, I'm not trying to make a big deal about it, but he's wearing this thing on his, on his bat. Um, so they checked it. And I, when he came back and told me, hey, it's legal, I was all good. It was, it was, it was over. I was done with. And, um, you know, um, apparently he uses it for, for like a, part of a handle you know that's so um but it's all good I mean, i'm not gonna make a big big deal about it did he use it in the previous two games did you see it in, in the first two games or did you just see it tonight i, I saw it the, uh yesterday um towards the end but I, like i said i didn't want to do it after an at-bat i didn't want i you know i did it before his first at-bat um like i said i told Quinn, hey i, I don't i've never seen I, i've never seen them wear before i don't know what's 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 going on with it but um and they checked it, and they came back and said that you know it was legal. And I said, I'm good. You know, no, no big deal. Well, blast knob or not, the Nats got blasted uh, in this game, which included a rough outing by the Nats' lone all-star for this season, Josiah Gray. Very disappointing game for him. He was coming off a terrific outing, a 2-1 win at the Philadelphia Phillies this past Friday evening. Gray in that game, one run in six innings, eight strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just six hits, all of which were singles, and he threw a lot of strikes. 99 pitches, a whopping 69 strikes versus just 30 balls. But Gray on Wednesday night, Five runs, three earned in five innings. He gave up eight hits, two homers, two doubles, and four singles. He issued four walks and a hit by pitch. He did record six strikeouts, but he over his five innings threw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. 102 pitches, just 55 strikes versus 47 balls. Uh, Gray in the top of the second allowed three runs, although only one of them was earned. He actually retired each of the Reds' first two batters in the inning, but Then the problems began. Uh, Gray gave up a two-ounce solo homer by Joey Votto to right field to tie the game at one. Uh, Gray induced a grounder off the bat of Spencer Steer for what should have been the third out, but third baseman, Jamer Candelario, off backhanding. The grounder committed a throwing error as his uh, back foot slipped while making the throw. Uh, Gray then gave up a two-out RBI double by Tyler Stevenson. Past a diving Alex Call, more on him in a bit, uh, in the left center field gap for a 2-1 Reds lead. Gray then gave up a two-out first pitch RBI double by the Reds' number nine batter, Will Benson, to right field for a 3-1 Reds lead. Gray then induced a grounder off the bat of T.J. Friedel for what should have been the third out, but second baseman Luis Garcia committed a fielding error. So two errors by the Nats in this Reds three-run second. Uh, Gray in the top of the fourth, a lot of run on a wet 
one-out hit-by-pitch, and then two consecutive one-out singles, including a one-out RBI single by T.J. Friedel to right field for a 4-1 Reds lead. And Gray, in the top of the fifth, allowed a run on a leadoff homer by Ellie De La Cruz on a laser to the second deck in right field for a 5-1 Reds lead. The homer went a projected 455 feet per stat cast, and De La Cruz, upon connecting for the homer, pointed at <laughs> the knob of his bat, pointed at the housing uh, that normally would be used to house a blast knob, a swing analyzer on his bat, a bit of showmanship from Ellie De La Cruz. So here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on what went wrong for Josiah Gray. His breaking ball wasn't as sharp. Um, his fastball command wasn't was wasn't as sharp. You know, so but you know what, it should have been out of the inning. I mean, there were two outs. We you know, make a play. Um, we get out of the inning right there, and uh, you know, it comes back, gets a couple of hits, and then a you know, home run, and you know, we, we're down three runs. So um, we can't give teams those extra outs. Every time we do that, you know, it, 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 it comes back and bites us. So. Um, you know, but I thought, you know, after that, he settled down a little bit, got behind. I mean, he was, he faced seven hitters after that, I think, and five 2 counts. So, you know, um, he just got to work ahead. It seemed like later in the game, his command, his command got a little bit worse, and he was kind of missing off the play a little bit. What did you see from why that was? Is that fatigue? Is that something else? What no, I think, I, I just think he was he was over trying to overthrow, you know. Um, you got to remember, too, you know, and I, I, I thought about this about the third inning. Um, he got, he started his career there. Yeah, so I don't know if he was trying to over over amp a little bit. Um, so we'll just uh, we'll get him back. You know, he won't pitch now until after the All Star break. So you know, he told me just you know get ready. You know, you ho- hopefully you know you pitch in the All Star game and um, just go out there and have fun, do well, and uh, get ready for the second half. Well, Josiah Gray now in this regular season, 18 starts, ERA of 341, but a WHIP of 144. That is the biggest nit to pick. Uh, with his step forward season, he is putting a good number of guys on base. And I'll tell you something else with Josiah Gray. He's not particularly pitch efficient. Uh, way too many of his innings are, shall we say, laborious innings. And we had a lot in the way of laborious innings in this outing on Wednesday night. Uh, but speaking of putting guys on base, <laughs> the Nats bullpen in this 9-2 loss to the Reds on Wednesday night. Three Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in four innings, although all four of the runs came off one guy. Uh, Amos Willingham was fine. He tossed a scoreless top of the six, but Joe LaSorsa, uh, he was the source of some bad pitching. Uh, LaSorsa allowed four runs in two innings. He was a mess in the top of the seventh, during which he allowed two runs on three singles, a run-scoring balk, a four-pitch walk, and a hit-by-pitch. The Nats went from down 5-1 to down 7-1, and then LaSorsa in the top of the eighth allowed two runs on a double, two singles, and a walk. And Jordan Weems, he did toss a scoreless top of the ninth, but he in that scoreless top of the ninth allowed three consecutive Reds batters to reach base with two outs, gave up a two-out double followed by back-to-back two-out walks. Uh, Weems in that inning threw 27 pitches, just 13 strikes versus 14 balls. The Reds are mashing Nats pitching. The Reds have totaled 16 hits in each of the last two games in this series. And then there's the Nats offense. Uh, The Nats on Wednesday night did have 10 hits and did draw four walks. Those are good totals, but the Nats scored just two runs. Why? 
two reasons. A, nine of the Nats' 10 hits were singles. B, the Nats went just one for eight with runners in scoring position. Uh, Lane Thomas did have another productive game. He is an ad starting right fielder and number one batter, went two for four with two singles to walk and an outfield assist, uh, top of the third. Thomas, an outfield assist for the third out. He threw out Jake Fraley in his attempt to advance to third base on a Joey Votto two-out single to right field. Although third baseman Jamer Candelario uh, did hurt his left thumb on the play. Uh, Candelario, by the way, had the Nats lone extra base hit in the game. He is the Nats starting third baseman and number three batter, one for four with a double, uh, though he also committed that throwing error in the Reds' two-run second. But the double by Candelario was impressive. Candelario in the Nats' one-run seventh, a one-out hustle double to the right center field gap on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, Corey Dickerson as the Nats starting left fielder and number seven batter, two for three with two leadoff singles. And we did have the return of Alex Call. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon recalled outfielder Alex Call from AAA Rochester and designated outfielder Derek Hill for assignment. So Call made the Nats 2023 regular season opening major league roster, but the Nats on June 16th option call to Rochester. Uh, call through games on June 15th had an OPS of just 590 and an OPS plus of just 67 over 251 plate appearances in this regular season. However, he also during that span had 0.5 defensive wins above replacement for baseball reference. So bad offensively, but quite good defensively. A call on Wednesday night as it had starting center fielder and number nine batter, one for four with a bunt single. He in the bottom of the second had a bunt single toward third base to load the bases with no outs, but the Nats failed to score in that inning. Think about that. Bases loaded, nobody out, and the Nats did not score a single run in that inning. Uh, the Nats just are not getting much offense from the center field position. Uh, the Nats on June 21st as the corresponding roster move to putting center fielder Victor Robles on the 10-day injured list with back spasms in the lumbar spine selected the contract of Derek Hill from AAA Rochester, but Hill really struggled for the Nats at the major league level. 13 games, 50 plate appearances, an OPS of just 411 an OPS plus of just 17, which is atrocious. What's funny, though, is that Hill's final game with the Nats uh, did feature him registering his first major league RBI for the Nats. Uh, Hill in the 8-4 loss to the Reds on Tuesday as the Nats starting center fielder and number nine batter, one for three with an RBI single and a walk. Uh, but he now has been DFA'd. Game four for the Nats against the Reds Thursday afternoon at 105. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles, since the start of last season, have called up a number of highly touted prospects to the majors. The uh, latest highly touted Orioles prospect called up to the majors came up on Wednesday, and he was part of a much-needed Orioles win, a 6-3 win at the New York Yankees on Wednesday night in Game 3 of a four-game series, just the Orioles' second win in eight games, and so it was good, Joe Angel, to be back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. <laughs> yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's have gotten to 50 wins. The O's now are 50 and 35. That is the second best record in the American League. And the O's now are two games ahead of the Houston Astros for the American League's top wild card spot and are three games ahead 
of the Yankees. Now, there was a really frightening moment in this game. A cameraman got struck on the head by an errant throw by Orioles shortstop Gunnar Henderson and actually was carted off the field. So we certainly hope uh, that that cameraman is all right. But uh, as for the baseball, so the O's on Wednesday afternoon selected the contract of outfielder Colton Kowser from AAA Norfolk. Uh, Colton Kowser is the number 14 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. Uh, the O's took him out of Sam Houston State with the number five overall pick in the 2021 MLB draft. This season, his age 23 season, he this season for AAA Norfolk was tremendous. 257 plate appearances, an OPS of 996. And he on Wednesday night came through. Uh, Kowser was the Orioles starting left fielder and number seven batter as he made his major league regular season debut. He went one for three with an RBI single and a walk. Uh, he had an Orioles four run six, had a one out RBI single to right field on a one two pitch for his first major league regular season hit and to cut the Orioles deficit to two one. Uh, not bad for a major league regular season debut, a big run scoring hit in a big win at the Yankees. So here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Colton Kowser. Kowser, yeah. What a n- nice debut. Um, huge hit for us, a nice walk. Uh, got his first, first big league high fly ball all the way with Stanton there in the, in the first inning, I think. And, um, but he played a really good game in his first game. Yes, he did. And Colton Kowser was not the only Oriole who came through in this win. So the O's for the game totaled six runs, 10 hits, and four walks, went four for 11 with runners in scoring position. Six of the Orioles' 10 hits were extra base hits. This was an impressive offensive performance by the O's. Jordan Westberg, another well-regarded Orioles prospect who just got called up. He on Wednesday night as the Orioles' starting third baseman and number eight batter, one for three with a two-run triple and a walk. Westberg in that Orioles' four-run six, a first pitch, one out, two-run triple to the left center field gap for a 3-2 Orioles lead. Uh, the O's on June 26 selected the contract of Westberg from AAA Norfolk, and he so far at the major league level has been terrific. 30 plate appearances in OPS of 862. Ryan O'Hearn, he on Wednesday night as the Orioles starting first baseman and number four batter, one for four with a two-run homer, a walk, and a stolen base. Uh, O'Hearn aided an Orioles two-run ninth, a one-out first pitch, two-run homer on a line drive, to right field for two really big insurance runs and a 6-3 Orioles lead. Ryan O'Hearn now for this regular season, 137 plate appearances at the major league level and OPS of 867. This guy has been so productive for the O's uh, and good to see Cedric Mullins have a good game. Mullins on Wednesday night as the Orioles starting center fielder and number five batter, two for five with two doubles. Uh, Mullins came into this game struggling just Five for 35 with five walks since coming off the 10-day injured list, which he was on from May 30th to June 24th due to a right groin strain. But the star of the game for the O's in this uh, 6-3 win at the Yankees on Wednesday night in many ways was starting pitcher Dean Kramer. What a job by Dean Kramer in this game. He was at least decent for a 10th time in 12 starts, but he in this game was not just decent. He was great. Uh, Kramer allowed two runs, one earned in seven innings with 10 strikeouts versus one walk. 
Uh, gave up just four hits, a solo homer, and three singles. He over 103 pitches through 67 strikes versus 36 balls. Uh, this was maybe Dean Kramer's best start of the season, especially considering the circumstances. Here was Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Dean Kramer. Oh, that is a start we needed. Um, so good. And shows you the pitcher that he's got the ability to be tough environment. Love the punt, love the way he grinded through that seventh inning after a two out walk. We're not real, that's one thing we can improve on. Um, but outstanding um, through seven innings. And, uh, you know, besides the kind of the cutter there to Donaldson for the homer, um, it was just had all his pitches going tonight. Yes, he did. And because Dean Kramer was so good, Brandon Hyde on Wednesday night only had to use two relievers. Uh, And they were the Orioles' two all-star relievers, Yanir Cano and Felix Batista. Uh, Now, Cano did allow a run in two-thirds of an inning. He had a Yankees one-run eighth faced four batters and got just two outs. He gave up a leadoff opposite field homer by Anthony Volpe to right field to cut the Orioles' lead to 4-3. The homer, though, was what you call a Yankee Stadium special. Although, to be fair, the Ryan O'Hearn homer also was a Yankee Stadium special. But the Volpe homer went just 343 feet for StatCast, uh, was the first homer allowed by Cano at the Major League level in this regular season. But then Felix Batista, a four-out save. He tossed one and a third scoreless innings with two strikeouts, continuing his outstanding season. Felix Batista now, for this regular season, 38 games, 40 innings, an ERA of 113, a whip of 0.95, and an incredible strikeouts for nine innings of 18.23. Game four for the O's at the Yankees Thursday night at 7.05. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 607. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders. Also, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Thursday afternoon at 105. Have game four of a four-game series against the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park. The O's on Thursday night at 705. Have game four of a four-game series at the New York Yankees. Have a great rest of your Thursday. And I'll talk to you on Friday. Make you mumble. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.